Well, I bring you greetings from our Elyria campus. It was seven months ago, believe it or not, that we began a discernment process with Peace Mennonite Church on West Ridge Road in Elyria about whether God was calling us to become one church. And it's been four months since we took that step of faith to merge. And that church became the Elyria campus of North Olmsted Friends Church. So for those of you who don't know me since it's been a while, my name is David Hoovler, and I serve as our Elyria campus pastor. Pastor Jeff is over there this morning, sharing the message there. And it's wonderful for me to be with you here on a Sunday morning. Probably the question I get asked the most these days is, how are things going in Elyria? And the answer is, things are going well. A number of people have answered the call to participate there. We've been averaging between 25 and 35 people on a Sunday morning. We're still very much in the process of getting to know one another as a congregation. There's a strong desire for unity, but it still takes a while to get past the mindset of us and them. And we're still figuring out what it means to be one church in two locations. How to live out the mission and the values of NOEFC in a new context. We've been putting a lot of work on the facility. There's a lot of exciting stuff like updating the DSL internet connection, getting a dumpster on site so that we don't have to haul the garbage home. We've also installed new screens for worship and AV equipment. This past week, we had new carpet installed to replace the 35-year-old original flooring. It was time. I'm kind of disappointed I didn't get to be there this morning to see everybody's reaction to it. I'm disappointed that I don't have a picture to show you of the most important part, and that's the people. I'm also excited with the formation of the launch team there at the campus group is made up of people who are committed to the work that God is doing in that place. Together we're seeking God's will for our ministry with a lot of prayer and discussion. Who is he calling us to reach out to? Who is he drawing to himself? What do we need to get in place to welcome people into that community? What should their experience be in terms of hospitality, children's ministry, youth ministry, adult discipleship, and worship? How should we reach out to draw people in? And what do we need to fulfill all of those things in terms of programs and people and materials and facilities? It's a lot to figure out. And we realized pretty quickly that our original goal of a September launch was a bit too aggressive. We want to be sure that we do this right. So we're in the process of narrowing down our new target, and we'll definitely keep you posted. But I'm grateful to be doing all of this as part of that team. I'm grateful for the support of our elder board and our denomination through this process. I'm grateful for all of your prayers as we seek God's direction in all of this. And I'm grateful to be doing this as part of the staff of this church. 
you know, I realized that I've been part of the staff of this church for four years this past Thursday. And many of you know that before that, I worked in higher education, marketing, and public relations for about 15 years with a three-year sojourn in China teaching English. I'm a little slow on the uptake, I guess, so it took a while for God to get through to me about his calling on my life. Or maybe he was just using me where I was and using that time to prepare me. As I've reflected about that history and the fact that this is Labor Day weekend, I wanted us to take a few minutes to think about work together. What does God want for our work? Our Saturday morning men's group has been working through the book of Haggai. It's a very interesting little book. And I'd invite you to turn there in your Bibles. It can be a little difficult to find. It's the third book from the end of the Old Testament. So if you get to that break between the Testaments and then go backwards, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai. Haggai spoke to a people who had returned from exile 18 years earlier. They found Jerusalem in ruins. The walls had been flattened. The houses were burned. The temple had been utterly destroyed. The people had begun to rebuild the temple. They had laid the foundation with great celebrations. But then they stopped. And the work on the temple remained stalled for years. God used Haggai to call the people to return to the work. And they listened. But then discouragement set in again. So I'd invite you to stand as we open God's word together. And I'll be reading from Haggai chapter 2 starting with verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, declares, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. May God add his blessing to this word. Please be seated. Be strong and work. 
Sometimes I think that we can view the Bible as a guidebook for spiritual wisdom, but think that it's disconnected from the everyday. The Bible is about the condition of our souls, but if we want to learn about the rest of our life, like our jobs, well, we need to find a book on leadership. We need to read how to win friends and influence people. We need to attend a professional conference. But did you know, I was looking this past week, and the new international version of the Bible uses the word work 555 times. And the word pray only appears 367 times. Now that's not to say that praying is less important than work, but I think it shows that the Bible has a lot more to say about work than we sometimes give it credit for. Very often we can get a distorted view of work. For some of us we see work as evil. A necessary evil, maybe, but what we live for is to clock out and actually live life. For others of us, we see work as life. Our work becomes our identity to the expense of our relationships with others and with God. But God's view of work is different than either one of those distortions. One of the things that we see first is that Haggai shows us that for God, work is good. It's not a four-letter word. Well, it, it is a four-letter word. But I think some of us get the idea that work is just something that we have to tolerate. We work only because we have to, but at the end of the day, or the end of the week, or the end of our career, well, then, then we find the real meaning in life. Maybe it was my time in Kentucky, but I have kind of a soft spot for bluegrass and folk music. This topic brings to mind an old song by Harry McClintock. In that song, an old hobo shares a strange kind of view of paradise. And in the last stanza of that song, he sings, In the big rock candy mountains, the jails are made of tin, and you can walk right out again as soon as you are in. There ain't no short-handled shovels, no axes, saws, nor picks. I'm a gonna stay where you sleep all day, where they hung the jerk that invented work in the big rock candy mountains. <laughs> I know, don't quit my day job. <clears throat> but the problem is, we did hang the jerk that invented work. The word that gets translated work in Haggai chapter 2 is the Hebrew asah. It means to do or to make. Do you know where that word first shows up in the Bible? Genesis chapter 1. God made the sky, asah. God made the sun and the moon, asah. God made the animals, asah. God made humans, Asah. Work is God's invention, and he did it first. Jesus says in John 5, 17, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And we, 
you and I were made to work. But unlike most of the creation stories of the ancient Near East, Genesis says that people weren't made to be slaves for gods who wanted to just sit back and do nothing. No, we're told, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. God made us in his image and he blessed us with work. Be fruitful and multiply. Nice work if you can get it. But any parent will agree it's work. Have dominion over the earth. Rule over it. That's work. But we work because we are made in his image. And we're supposed to find satisfaction in our work. It's not supposed to be a drudgery that we can't wait to leave behind for our real life. Solomon said that for people to eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, this is the gift of God. God looked at his work of creation and proclaimed it good. Do you do that? Just yesterday, there was a group of us that were sitting, were working at the uh, Elyria campus after the carpet was installed, getting the chairs set back up for worship this morning. We maybe spent longer getting them lined up than we should have, but we finished it up, we looked at it, and we said to one another, yeah, that's good. Maybe you bring order to a spreadsheet, or sew a beautiful quilt, or plan a lesson that students really click with, or set a meal on the table that just tastes amazing, or get a customer to the product that they're looking for on the first try. That's good. Whatever the work that's set before us, we should find satisfaction in a job well done because we were made to work. But Haggai goes a bit deeper with that. In his first message from God, in Haggai chapter 1, it says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Haggai reminded his neighbors, and he reminds us, that the focus of our work is important. We were made to work, but if we only work for ourselves, we've missed the point. We were made to work for God's priorities. We were made to serve others. As Haggai reminds us, we were made to work on God's house. The exiles in Haggai's day were supposed to rebuild the temple. And God still calls us to work on his house. It's important for us to pay attention to our church buildings. It's one of the things we're thinking of as we lay the groundwork in Illyria. It's a beautiful and well-maintained property, 
but we're trying to look at it through fresh eyes to see what needs to be done to make it more welcoming, to make it a more effective tool for ministry. That's the reason that seven years ago we began the project to expand this building here. I praise God every time I see that upper room filled with teens, and I'm amazed that we have one there this morning. Every time I see the children's wing bustling with activity, every time I look at people joined in fellowship in the atrium, and that's all of that is the reason that we're entering a new phase of that project this fall, to continue to be good stewards of what God has entrusted us with. But we also need to remember that the early church didn't have special buildings to meet in. People who had a large enough place for a group to gather would open up their courtyard or their hall. That's the way the early friends met in the 1600s. Even after they had buildings, they would call them meeting houses rather than churches. Because the church isn't a building. These buildings are just tools. Paul put it this way, writing to the church in Corinth, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The church isn't the building. The church is the people of God gathered together. Now it's very true that when we claim Christ's saving work for ourselves, we receive the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He guides us, leads us, helps us to grow into the likeness of Jesus. But the Bible also has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit being in the midst of God's people. There's a work of God that he only does when his people are gathered together. And we miss that if we try to go it alone. He wants us to work together to build one another up as the temple of God. And that work, God tells us, will be forever. The cartoon picture of heaven is of people in white robes with wings and harps sitting back on clouds forever, right? But we get some clues of how we'll actually be occupied in eternity. Worship is certainly part of that. But remember, we were made for work. In the parable of the talents, Jesus describes the master settling accounts with his servants. It's a time of reckoning that connects to that final judgment that's coming. He considers his servants' hearts and the work that they have done in his house. To the two who are praised, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And in the last chapter of the Bible, John writes, No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him, and they will reign forever and ever. I will put you in charge of many things. They will reign forever and ever. We get the idea we'll have work to do in eternity. God doesn't give us many details, but we're told it will be a reward, not a burden. 
It will be the fulfilling, satisfying, glorious work we were all meant to do. So work is good. It's what we were made for. But Haggai's message reminds us of something else. Work is hard. The people found the work rebuilding the temple hard, and they were starting to get discouraged. Part of the reason I think work is so difficult is that we don't see it the way it was originally intended. In the beginning, God gave humans work to do, but we can't fully understand what that work was like because we turned away from him and disobeyed and sin became part of our reality. When God explains the consequences of that sin in Genesis 3, much of it goes back to our work. Eve is told that she will have pain in childbearing and her relationship with Adam had been damaged. Be fruitful and multiply had become much, much harder. And Adam is told that the work to have dominion over the earth, to cultivate and grow and provide, will be done in pain and toil from that point forward. Sin warps work. The decay of this world means that no matter what we build or create, it's going to fade into ruin. Our fractured relationships mean that all of our work is going to contend with miscommunication, egos, hurt feelings, and personal agendas. As Haggai reminds us, sin warps our priorities for work. The returned exiles were focused on taking care of their own. They were getting their own houses in order, and then some. Today, paneled walls don't usually make us think of grandeur. They kind of put us more in the mind of a cheap 1970s rec room, right? But in 520 BC, paneled houses were the pinnacle of luxury. Only the wealthy had the means to get the cedar and panel their walls. The people of Judah hadn't just ensured that they had roofs over their heads. They'd gone beyond that to frivolous remodeling projects. They pursued their own business, their own careers, their own comfort, without thinking about God. Now, this past week, Dwayne Hansen set a Guinness World Record by hollowing out an 846-pound pumpkin and paddling it 38 miles down the Missouri River. The 11-hour journey was challenging, he said, because every passing boat threatened to sink the pumpkin in its wake. He told a local news station, I ain't going to do this again. I'm done with this. That's the last time I buy a boat from a fairy godmother. I might have made that last bit up. I don't think any of us will argue that Duane didn't work hard. And he got recognition for it. He made the national news. He got his name in a book of records. But what did he really have at the end of that? A soggy 846-pound pumpkin. How many of us are doing the same thing? 
We invest our lives in earning that next raise, that promotion, that title. We grow our profits to get a bigger bonus. We build our business to make a name for ourselves. But we find out at the end that our yacht has turned into a pumpkin. We earn wages to put them into a bag with holes. Jesus told about a man who was so successful in his business that he had no room to store the abundance of his crops. So he decided to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. He said to himself, you had, have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Even hard work for the wrong purpose is ultimately wasted. Well, then we just need to focus on God's work, and everything will be easy, right? When I left my position at Tri-C to come on staff at the church, my, my boss liked to joke that I would only be working one day a week. And I think most people there thought that I was making the change for a better work-life balance for my family. Be nice if it were that easy. But the reality is that God's work requires sacrifice. And that doesn't just mean pastors. We've created an unbiblical dichotomy that the people on a church's payroll are doing ministry, and everybody else is a ministry consumer. Pastor, you're here to work. I'm here to get fed. And I can't be fed if you're not offering the classes that I want, or you're not singing the songs that I like, or your sermons aren't making me feel good. This is part of the disaster of the American Evangelical Church today. This week, we saw yet another prominent pastor placed on leave because of an inappropriate relationship. We ask ourselves, how can this happen again and again? But all too often, we elevate people because of their charisma their talent in speaking or singing or administration. We make celebrities of our leaders, and we fail to consider their character. We encourage them to keep up the act so that they can feed us better. And a pastor's priorities can begin to subtly shift from building God's church to building my church growing my congregation, increasing my budget, publishing my books, fulfilling my desires, because I deserve it. And the church is then no different from the world, and the name of God is trampled in the streets. In reality, those in leadership in the church are called to humility. 
We are called to set an example in holiness and accountability. We're called to share the load and the credit and to equip everyone else to do ministry. There's a reason that Haggai speaks to the governor, Zerubbabel, and to the high priest Joshua by name. And then he addresses all of the people with the same directions. Leaders and lay people alike, we are all called to lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow Jesus, who laid down his life for us. We find our identity in him, and then we live out the calling each one of us has to work for him, to serve within the church and in the world, and to share our faith with those that God places in our lives. We are all called to build his house. Haggai also reminds us that the past can hold us back. Solomon's temple had been destroyed 67 years earlier. God asked the people, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? There were a few people, probably, who remembered the glory of the temple, but things were different now. Solomon, he had all of those resources. They just rolled in. He was the envy of all the nations. But now, you know, we thought we were making a start, but then it stalled. We're a joke to our neighbors. They seem to be getting along just fine without God. You know, we don't have the skills to make it like it was. This sanctuary here used to see 600 people every Sunday. Now it's a bit less than 300. The building out in Illyria had a congregation of 80. Now we're really happy to have 30. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon reflected this sort of discouragement when he said, We cannot build like Solomon, therefore let us not build at all. Yet, brethren, there is a falsehood in all this, for in truth nothing is worthy of God. The great works of others, and even the amazing productions of Solomon, all fell short of his glory. What we need for our work isn't found by dwelling on the glory of the past or comparing ourselves to others. We need his glory today. So Haggai gives the people this reassurance from God. Be strong and work, for I am with you. Because God says, work is good, and he knows that it's hard. But if we will enter into his work, we'll find that his work is eternal. The past can discourage us when we compare ourselves to that past glory, to other people's talents, but God reminds us that the past can also encourage us. I love what he tells the people of Judah. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. 
and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. You notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, this is what I covenanted with your ancestors when they came out of Egypt. No. He says, you. This generation is my people just as much as the generation that I brought out of Egypt. I have saved you. You aren't working to build the temple so that I can be with you. No, I'm already with you. My spirit remains among you. Be encouraged by God's past faithfulness. And in the present, enter into his work. Jesus told his disciples, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We don't often think of yokes today, practically speaking, and what we need to see is that Jesus isn't saying that he's going to hand a yoke to us and tell us, get out there, pull your plow. No. The picture is of a farmer who trains a young ox by harnessing it next to an experienced older one. Jesus says, I'm in the yoke. I'm working. Come alongside me. Work with me. And you will learn, and you will grow, and you'll see what we can do together. And then Haggai points to the future. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. God says the future will be better than the past. In fact, the temple the people built in Haggai's day was still there 500 years later, when Herod the Great began expanding it and finishing it with marble and gold and precious stones and a temple complex that put even Solomon's temple to shame. But Herod worked for the wrong reasons. He wasn't doing that to glorify God. He was doing it to pacify the people, to strengthen his own grip on power. And Jesus dismissed the beauty of that temple because it only pretended to honor God. In fact, it was destroyed, and it has never been rebuilt. But the writer of Hebrews quotes from this passage in Haggai, and he points out that it wasn't ever really about the building, because this world and everything in it will be shaken. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, 
Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Buildings will be shaken. Haggai's temple is no longer there. One day, if Jesus tarries, this building will no longer be here. One day, the building in Illyria will no longer be there. Until then, may we make them powerful tools in advancing God's kingdom. God challenges us to enter into that work of building a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The Apostle John saw a vision of the future, of the new Jerusalem, of our eternal reward. He writes, I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. This is the vision God gave Haggai. And let's catch that same vision today. God says, abandon your own selfish striving. Enter into my work. Build my house. It's what I made you for. I know it's hard, but I'm with you. And it will be worth it because my work is eternal. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that you call us to work. That you give us labor that fulfills us, that will satisfy us, if only we do it in you. Yet God, you know the work is hard, and we are but dust. The things that we make are but dust, unless you make them. God, forgive me when I work in my own strength. Forgive me for the times I put in long hours thinking it's up to me. Forgive us putting our priorities in the wrong place and thinking it's all about us. God, keep our eyes on you. May we come in beside you. Take your yoke on us and pull with you. It's 
the only way we will find rest for our souls. God, I pray that you would help us to do that this day. To work unto you. To work to build your house. 